0: And welcome to the D20 podcast. It's podcast number nine. Number nine. <laughs> um, tonight, it, well, we have a special guest star. Let's see, we're recording kind of loud today. Um, Beth is here to ask us a bunch of questions, so we're not going to roll tonight. We're just going to answer questions. So it's kind of like, you know, bring on our favorite fan. They'll come and ask us questions sort of tonight. Um, tonight, we don't have the whole gang, but we have most of us. So we have Corey. Cisco. Scott. And special guest? Beth. There we go. So uh, pretty much Draw we're going to let Beth control this through the whole night. So she's going to be leading us uh-huh. and trying to keep us in line. So Beth, why don't you go ahead and take it away?
1: Um, I'm going to be asking primarily about, you know, youth and teen years, but feel free to talk about whatever you want to talk about when questions come up. First thing I wanted to ask is how old were you guys when you first played your first role-playing game, and had, you know what about it kept you playing, kept you interested in it?
0: So do you want to direct the questions to each one of us one at a time, or we're just going to jump Whoever in and override? Whoever wants to go first. Uh, Corey, why don't you start?
2: Um, my first game experience would have been Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> and Other Strangeness from Palladium. And I'm guessing I would have been around 14 or so. It was when the comics were first introduced. And I picked up the role-playing game just sort of on a whim. And that led into other games. Mostly going from that to Heroes Unlimited. Eventually in my late teens over to D&D. But limited in the aspect of role-playing. It was more making characters and designing stories around the characters than actually getting to play stuff. I did one stint as a GM um, with an idea for a story that I had for these other characters that I kind of coaxed everybody else into, but it was not the same as what I finally found role-playing to be. Which was? Um, less controlled.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: When, when I, I, I approach things as a writer and I have a story that I want to tell and I want things to follow in line for that story. And, um, That's not the way role-playing really is. You have to kind of be prepared to go in any direction, which I think is why I don't ever have the mind to be a DM or a GM. Um, Granted, I have been the most abusive of taking things away from the story when it comes to role-playing in general. Chris will tell you that. Scott will tell you that. Cisco will laugh at me for saying it, but yeah, it's totally true. I think you're tied with Anne on that. Yeah. I think I brought a lot out of Anne that she probably wouldn't (laughs) have had. Like, you guys role-played with Anne before me. Um, and I think it was probably a different experience than it was with me and Anne, being between you guys and the Adams and Tony and everybody in the Pentad, was probably well behaved comparatively to the rest of you. Um, I think I brought Anne to a bad place and she gets a lot of criticism for what I did.
3: Well, that's true, because, I mean, when we played with Gordon, Gordon was his own little solo weird guy, and then the rest of us were our own, you know, and with you, you definitely bring it out with Anne, because when it's you, it's you and Anne. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: What, um, what did you get out of gaming? Just from the beginning, what did you get out of it? What, um, was there something in your relationship to game that that you weren't getting elsewhere?
2: With me, it it was more just wanting to live a different life, to tell stories, to have characters and stuff. I was an only child um, I spent most of my free time living in my own head. I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't go out. Um, so even when I started to have friends, and they kind of yanked me out in other things, it was as much time as I could spend living in my own head, I did. And uh, thank you, Cisco. That I didn't realize I was implying something that dirty. Um, but Sorry. Yeah, it was just, I liked making up characters. I liked having this whole more super heroic world, mm-hmm. and then fantasy as it went on in D and D and stuff, but I always had a story that was behind these guys and to me it was like trying to get to the point where I could tell that story somehow. Your turn? My turn.
4: I started playing vampire. Oh, love vampire. What so sorry. Okay, so I started playing vampire in high school, before I could drive, while we were still living over on Velatini, so I must have been 14, thereabouts, maybe 15, and I mainly started playing because I was all goth at the time, and I was like, hey, a vampire game, yeah, let's all sit in the dark in my room and pretend to be vampires. Live action, or? No, tabletop. That game didn't last very long, though, because nobody knew how to run it. Yeah. Being a bunch of little goth kids <laughs> listening to the cure in Depeche Mode in the dark, we didn't really understand the actual mechanics of the game, so we spent, like, two weeks making characters and writing out these huge, like, eight-page novellas about how they had come to be vampires and what clan they belonged to and who their sires were. And, yeah, it became much more, like, long story sessions I think we got into like one encounter with anybody in the entire game. And um, then we we kind of played our own version of live-action vampire, in the sense that we all dressed up and had you know the fangs that you got in the hot water and then molded them to your teeth so they fit just right, and wandered around downtown Forestville, which yeah if you've been to downtown Forestville Needs Bunch of more us vampires. wandering around, all gothed out with our little... Freaking key.
2: the
3: mundanes.
4: Freaking the mundanes at the drive-in.
3: Yeah, Forestville is so the place for goths, too. It's all pretty in trees and stuff. And you got the goths. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
4: That's and good. the graveyard is mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. On the highway. Used to freak people out on the highway all the time. It's We'd be dark. walking up the side of the highway to get to the graveyard. In our black clothes with no lights People would come over the top of the hill and their headlights would hit us.
2: But I mean, wasn't that who you were, though, sort of? I mean, wouldn't you have also been freaking out people just walking around normally without the vampire game?
4: I did absolutely... Well, I didn't really change that much to play the vampire game. Yeah, It was like, ooh, I add another lace petticoat over the one I'm already wearing, (laughs) and I put my fangs on again because I took them off to eat dinner. So in that sense, my... Early gaming experience was very different than yours because I wasn't trying to escape from what I was living I was extending what I was living it's more I couldn't social. actually be a vampire so I was playing one on TV well
2: I'm not saying I wasn't actually a Teenage Mutant Ninja and other strangeness but well maybe not a ninja definitely strangeness yeah
4: I'm just saying I for me it that was the draw, was that I was engrossed in the lifestyle. And so, you know, I I definitely became attached to White Wolf as a system. And it was actually one of the things that Chris and I had in common when we first met was, you know, he was talking about starting a new game and that I don't even remember how Vampire came up, but that Vampire might be the game that he was running, and I was like, I know that game! Which, of course, I didn't know that game. I I knew knew my goth version of that game, but I had never actually played the game.
1: Yeah, but the, the version that was in Santa Rosa was pretty much the goth version of the game.
4: Yes, well, and I have to say that even before Chris came back from Hawaii, I was already in contact with Jeremy and all those people who were starting up the Camarilla in Sebastopol,
3: because I
4: had all of my paperwork, I had my character registered, everything like that. And I mean it took us, what, three years to actually Mm -hmm. get from filling out Camarilla paperwork to actually playing live action as an actual Camarilla sanctioned game.
0: I don't think it was quite that long, I think it was probably like a a year or so, but it, it took a while. They weren't very organized in the beginning.
4: Right. <coughs> it didn't
0: last very long as Camaria either. It didn't with us it in
4: charge. It got hostily taken over. If they had given us more time. Well, let's start with Jeremy and Nick should not have been in charge. <laughs> Wherever they are, I hope that they've grown up. But they should not have been in charge of a live-action group at that point
1: in time in their life.
2: It's all about telling the roller skates.
1: Meals on wheels. Well, but what I think I'm hearing is that for you, it was really a social thing. And in that context, you learned some things about leadership roles in social situations, too, even though they weren't the most pleasant lessons. Yes.
4: And again, I was an only child, too. So I didn't have siblings at home to boss around, make play the games that I wanted to.
1: I totally should have rented mine out.
4: I, I would have borrowed him. <laughs> Except we were the same age, so I couldn't have bossed him around.
1: But oh, well. Maybe.
4: He was pretty scared when we were little kids. <laughs> I might have been able to boss him around. Not like now. Mm-hmm. Now he's scary
1: looking. Um okay. I just wanna point out that I played a role playing game maybe once or twice and hated it. And I went didn't to And I went to Vampire once. And it creeped me out because all my friends were acting like complete bizarre jerks, and I was like, mm, "Not for me."
3: I went to Vampire once too, well, maybe twice, and I just couldn't handle that—the live-action stuff. I sat in a corner with my new little nameplate and didn't want to talk to anybody. I'm like, I was a Nos- I just pretended like I was a Nosferatu that was obfuscated the whole time, so I could sit there and watch. <laughs> me. See, and that's, they're not necessarily social butterfly, though. So I think
0: totally that's my no.
3: perfect for Vampire. I mean, that's totally perfect for. That
2: type of characters did not want to associate with anybody. I went to a goth club with Jared and Elise and a bunch of people, and I went upstairs, found a booth, laid down, and fell asleep. And I was accused by Jared at the end of the night of out gothing everybody else at the goth club because I was so antisocial that I fell asleep in the middle of the club. <laughs> so I think that's what you're supposed to do the first few times in Vampire.
3: Yeah, I was really, around it. we had a, a company party yesterday that was like an hour in the lunchroom and it was like a luau thing and, all, you know, we had all kinds of crap, they had like t-shirt, they had the Hawaiian shirt contest for best and worst and all this stuff and I just can't handle those type of situations, I totally avoided that room, I didn't even go near the So
1: room. no vampire luau's for you ever? No, no,
3: yeah.
4: Oh, that would be fun.
3: And I had so a really cool shirt too, luau. I could have won, but no. <laughs> <laughs> you just didn't want
4: it. Awesome! <laughs> Vampire luau birthday party, Scott. Uh, I
3: don't know. All you, know, you. My birthday was just. You know, was I just know. We'll have we put a, a guru in. on a spit. Got uh, two more <laughs> years till till the big one though.
4: I know. We got to start planning now.
3: Uh, it's scary. The four zero. Two years.
2: Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to that for you because after and here, you, it's me.
3: And here I remember Tony and and Pritchett always told me, man, you can't play after thirty. Got to cut it off at (laughs) (laughs) thirty. Those guys are thirty-five. Yeah, I know. They don't play though. They cut off. Yeah. Now they're into their ultimate fighting and whatnot and stuff.
0: Yeah. Not any different. Yeah.
3: Um. Okay. Me. Let's see. I started in (laughs) 1980 and Christmas, and uh, I got it from my aunt. And at that time, you know, I was 10, and I was all excited because you know. You're not, it's had on it, you know, for ages 12 and up. So I was like, ooh, you know, two years older than me. And all my friends were younger than me, so they couldn't really understand it. Because, you know, they were like eight or nine. And, you know, it was way over their heads.
2: Curse that is kept
3: with you to this day. All your friends are younger than you. So um, I liked, I just liked the the free form aspects of it. And, And I've always been more of an idea guy, come up with good I come up with these great concepts for characters and whether they're playable or whether... I, I don't have any follow-through, basically. So I, I like I just would make a lot of characters. And I would try to play with some of my friends and they just didn't get it. So as these friend, as these guys always make fun of me, I would play D&D by myself.
0: Aww. I think
3: that's the real difference, though, is that Cisco
2: and I didn't really get to experience role-playing because mm-hmm. we didn't know anybody who would be a GM. And Scott is like, screw that. I'm gonna be the GM for myself.
3: So and screw follow through. You you had it better than we did. Well at that time they also made modules at for people that were playing by themselves. They had like invisible markers that you would you know, you would you would play and you couldn't tell the part until you went through the invisible marker and you know that. that's cool. Yeah, they did stuff like that.
1: I was gonna ask did you make like multiple characters and have them play?
3: I did, with or each other? one at one point I just went nuttoid and combined five characters and made them the Gave him the, like, uh, geez, five so. times the, the, the stats and everything, and every power match, and it was just, you know, the superhero D&D character. Maybe know. he would
2: have lived in that session you were playing in uh, Sacramento.
1: Oh, God.
3: That was bad.
1: Well, what made you want to keep doing that, even though you didn't have anyone to play with? Well,
3: I, I didn't play as much when I was in Fremont. I moved up here when I was 16, in the middle of high school. And I've always been... The antisocial loner. And so, I basically did not have any friends from 1986 until 1991 when I met John. And five years of just being the loner. And it gives you a lot of time to think and come up with weird crap. And just, you know, I was in my room a lot. I played. <laughs> and that's what I did. I designed D&D games and played. And, and, you know, that's about all I did besides walking the dogs and doing that and playing some Sega. So, you know, I was pretty much the total loner. Um, and then I met basically all my friends through through playing D&D or other role-playing games, because that's, I met John at the video store when we both worked there, and he was excited because I liked playing D&D, so he invited me over to my house, and then I met Chris, and then through Chris I met Pritchett and Tony and them, and then, you know, and Corey, and... I, that's how I met everybody. Basically, is mm-hmm. through D anD D or other role playing games. So it's then it became more of a social thing for me, where before, before it was just by myself, and it, it became how I interact with them. Because, uh, like I said in the other podcast, people that role play pretty much always have something to talk about. Something you know, they have a common form of an expression that they could understand.
1: Was it weird for you making that transition to you're in your room and in your own head and then suddenly you have to compromise and work with other people?
3: Not really, no. It was um, more liberating. I, I, I've always been flexible in that way. I've always been able to fill the role that like, if everybody else is playing something else, I, you know, if, if we need a particular character or a particular type of thing, I could play that mm-hmm. you know it didn't really matter what I was playing as long as I was playing I guess
2: yeah because you play every ca- well you make more characters than you've ever played
3: oh yeah <clears throat> I have a stack of vampire characters about this thick because I went onto the computer and found all these different um god it's been so long since I played vampire I can't even think of disciplines that um aren't in the normal rule books. that I've read those sites too, yeah. And I just made all kinds of characters with those disciplines. I never played them or anything, but I think I was designing a a whole world at that time that I was going to be the GM for. As I said, I don't have any follow through, so I never finished it. You You see
4: my post about Julian and vampire
3: books. Yes. I also started a role-playing game at the time that you guys were making your role-playing game that I had a bunch of rules for, and I had about, like, I don't know, 20, 30, maybe even up to 50 pages of, st- of stuff for that that I just never followed through. Uh-huh. How old
1: were you when you were doing that?
3: Well, that was probably mid-20s. Mm. Yeah, I'm a late bloomer. All oh, my crap is late. I don't know. You, you know.
2: started to 10 when you were supposed to be 12. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, I went to raves when I was 30 and everybody else was like 15. Well, oh, that's true. That's great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Who's the old guy? Yeah,
3: that's when I stopped going is when I was looking around. There was nobody... Older than half my age, that was scary.
2: Now, what I thought of with you is the fact that even you living with Chris and Cisco, I didn't really know Scott until we started playing game together.
3: Yeah, because I wouldn't talk. I'd sit in the back and observe. I've always been an observer. i just sit around and watch people. and I don't really interact with people too much.
4: That is true. People used to come over and Scott would like slink back into his room and like shut the door and read a book. And people would be like, roommate right he's here isn't he <laughs> like yeah he's he in
0: room well, why well a lot of that was because that was the vampire group too though and since scott didn't play
3: yeah the vampire group was a little beyond me it was a little odd
2: and that's true like you were saying earlier about having game gives everybody a common ground to talk about mm-hmm. it, how many parties did we have that it was like okay can we stop talking about game now
3: oh yeah totally Yeah. Totally.
2: And I'm
1: sure it would be for about 30 seconds, and then somebody would remember something they'd wanted to say. Oh,
3: terrible. Well,
4: and I think, you know, there was a huge period there, especially during the live action years, where I knew people, I would run into people in the mall who would call me by my character name and, like, start in on some huge spiel about you know how I had done something that they didn't like and we should plan to overthrow the prince and da, 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 and it's like
1: this is the mall <laughs> this is not game. But
2: well, you sort of gamed in the mall for a period of time too so.
1: Be, that mall you had to pretend you were somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. But I, also,
3: sorry. Um, one thing I was just thinking, one thing game always gave me too since I have been socially awkward and stuff, it gives you The freedom to express yourself where you're not really you. You could just mess around and and be someone else. And, Mm -hmm. you know, since I was the typical depressed teenager and loner, it was liberating to be able to be someone else. Yeah. Be the hero or be the... And not have to... You could pretend that, you know, you're not only cooler than you are, but smarter than you are, wittier than you are. Because it's like, ooh, I have the stats that say I am. But yet... You know, I don't have the actual wits to play it out, but you can pretend that you can, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but but
1: then did you wonder, do my friends like me because of my character, or because of who I really am? I mean, I think everyone's probably in that same situation. They're kind of enhancing whatever qualities they wish they had, but...
3: Well, yeah, sometimes, because, I mean, it's it, it's not because of my character. It's because it was, you know... If they like you just because of game. Because you might interact only at game. You don't mm-hmm. interact when you're not gaming. So it's like, okay, we're going to go game and we'll have fun. But if we weren't gaming, we wouldn't be interacting. We wouldn't mm. be, you know, we didn't do parties and stuff. We did game. Mm. You know? We might, of course, they
0: eventually evolved into we did drinking parties. games. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? We, we definitely did parties with John not just game. Well, eventually we did. Yeah, you don't remember silhouette stripping? No, I was not there for that. <laughs> oh,
3: never mind. I was those. I've heard all those stories, and that was after I uh, met you guys that's I, I did have some, you know, lots of drunken nights at John's. Eventually, yeah, but I mean, it, it it eventually became more, became friendships, you know, at least the people that you know I wanted to be friends with, and you know, they lasted a while. Mm-hmm.
2: So, as far as being somebody else in game and wondering if that's all people see you as when i was part of the um the paper rpgs group on prodigy which is more free form writing but it was still an rpg type game we're all playing x-men characters and my character became hugely popular because of the way that i wrote him he was pretty friendly you know he was cool but he had a lot of bad luck um, like, I was supposed to make this ultra-cool character, and then I just kept doing ridiculous things with him that just made him more endearing. But everybody kind of followed me and and kind of leaned towards me because of that. That eventually, I think probably about a year or two in, I decided that I wanted to make an asshole character <clears throat> just to see how people reacted. And people did not like me as this other character. And they could separate the two. They could like me as one and dislike me as the other, knowing that I was the same guy but Mm -hmm. really having issues with one or the other. And I thought that was kind of neat to have that identity, to be able to go back and forth. And they were both really good aspects of me. I kind of played the asshole a little too well.
1: Well, and that probably teaches you something about social constructs and, like, what can you get away with in, in, in your regular everyday behavior, you know? What's going to make people sympathetic to you? And what what is going to make people not like you? And so, yeah. you know, when you might want something from somebody, you can play the the cool guy that has a lot of bad luck. <laughs> and they'll go, oh, we want to do things for him. And then when you want everyone to leave you alone, you can be the jerk.
2: Yeah, I I definitely know that I have a work persona and I have a home persona. And uh, I think I even have a game persona, uh, just like of what I am around you guys, which is probably more me. When the for other the two, single. yeah, but I I know when I'm at work that I I try to be such a good person because it what you have to do every day. I I work with people more on an individual basis because I do services in people's homes, and so I have to put them at ease. I have to make them feel like they're okay with having this little weird hairy guy in their house. Um, so I I definitely try to show patience and kindness and just be like nicest guy in the world but and it's not like i'm faking anything either i feel like i'm being truthful um and i like helping people but i know that there's a part of me that just like wants to make these underhanded comments sometimes and would just try to get away with so much more but yeah i guess in your everyday life you kind of role play anyway
1: chris do you want to have a turn at the question
0: the question i think i've already answered this in a previous podcast but uh let's see i started gaming in seventh grade so whatever the hell age that is is that 12 or something
2: i think around there Yeah, Somewhere i think it's around,
0: around 12 uh i think leaf brought a D&D book to an overnighter that we did at the Marin headlands and i got to look through that and kind of got us into that but he didn't want to run it he wanted to play it. So I ended up GMing right from the get go. And I think for me, it was just, it gave me a group of friends. It gave me a constant group of friends to hang out with
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and and do stuff with and just a constant social interaction that I didn't have. Because I, you know, junior high was where I started to decide which path I was going to go as far as, uh, you know, the jocks or the whatnot. You know, that's when the clicks start. And so none of the sports ever really intrigued me. I played basketball because I was tall, but that was just because they wanted a tall person on the team. I was never really all that great at it. Um, (coughs) So, yeah, I mean, I've always been about the, the social aspect of it. And I think for me, you know, I run the games more often than, than play. And a lot of it comes around for me, the gaming is about having fun with friends and, doing what I can to make it fun for them. So for me, the running it is how I go about trying to make it fun. Whenever I run a game, I always try to cater to the people's characters as much as possible, try to you know, give them something cool that they like about their character that makes them remember the characters, those sort of things, so that they walk away from the game remembering something and remembering how much fun we had doing it.
4: I think another important aspect of it, at least in my sense, watching you, is that it is one of your major creative outlets.
0: Yeah, that's true. I've never, you know, which is funny, because I've never considered myself an art-type person, you know, any of the arts. I can't draw with a damn. Uh, I really don't think I can write, even though I I force myself to do it periodically. Um, so I don't ever think of myself as creative. I mean, I guess coming from a background of, you know, being a math person and being considered a nerd and all that, I just never think about using that side of my brain or think that i capable of it, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it is a creative outlet for me. I always have things kind of thinking about game and whatnot, either my characters or the game I'm running. So it definitely gives me an outlet for that. It also,
2: do you think it's part of the reason why so many people look to you as a leader? I mean, even in just everyday situations?
0: Um, whether or not I've, I've developed a leadership role because of the fact that I run games? It's possible. I mean, I. part of the reason I think people look to me as a leader is that I, I'm i not the type of person, even though I'm very self-conscious in a group setting for with people that I don't know, I'm not a big fan of sitting back and just letting things happen. I and I don't know if it's because I'm creative or the fact that I have control issues or uh, I just see things how they how they're gonna work out. You're an organizer. There's your mouth. Yeah, and so I I can't help but try to help them get to that point. Like
2: when helping us move.
0: Yes, I'm I'm fairly organized when it comes to moving and stuff. So yeah, I mean I've always kind of seen the big picture <clears throat> of things a lot. So that's kind of I guess, yeah, leadership in the sense that I'm looking at the picture and how to get everyone to to get there.
4: How the Tetris cubes fit together.
0: I st- I'm not very good at Tetris, though. <laughs> I'm really not. I don't know why. You would think I would be really good at it, but I just... I don't have the dexterity to make my mind and my hands make the block go to where it should.
2: Yeah, that's like me and guitar. Is like, I could probably do really well with guitar if I had less clumsiness, but mathematically and creatively my brain is there it's just getting my hands to do what i want them to doesn't always work out
1: so did any of you guys ever like have awkward conversations with your parents about gaming and like maybe this isn't so good for you you're spending too much time in your room by yourself pretending to be a monster (laughs) um or, or you know i mean we grew up in a time when there was a lot of concern about gaming and you, what it would do to Scary kids. And, well, exactly. Um, what is it, honey? But, you know... Hmm? Dungeons and monst- dragons.
0: Mazes and monsters. Mazes of monsters. M- 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 monsters. monsters. Tom yeah. Hanks. That's an excellent Tom Hanks movie. Uh, I'll... You know what? For my parents, I mean, my mom's obviously very... and very nervous person, which is sadly where I get it from, and so she worries quite a bit. It was not ever really an issue until i had other issues going on and then it was whether or not this was a factor or contributing factor you know i mean there was
1: would she ask you that or did she just kind of
0: you know you're make me remember stuff aren't you sorry um (laughs) back in the dark times um (laughs) yeah i mean they asked me about it when we had to have the suicide question, it was definitely one of those factors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it was one of those things of like, you know, is the role-playing too much? Is that why you're the way you are? Is it causing you to be depressed? Are you having a hard time keeping a grip on reality? You know, and to be honest, you know, role-playing is actually one of the things that keeps me grounded in a sense. I mean, it's, it's the one constant thing in my life. It's the one thing that doesn't need to have any other meaning to it. I mean... I don't have to read into it. It's a time to, to do something fun and to just kind of let loose. So I've never thought of gaming as contributing to my loss of reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I never lose reality in the, in the gaming, I guess. It just helps me not think about the other reality. It's not like I'm losing it. It's just pushed to a another spot. Yeah, it's a distraction.
1: Were you able to verbalize that at the time? At the time, no. Mm.
0: But, I mean was I able to verbalize anything at that time? No. <laughs>
1: yeah. I
0: mean, that was one of those things, you know, going to therapy, you know, individual therapy, going to therapy with them as a group, you know, it, I don't know if the therapy ever worked for me per se. It was just one of those things that you did for six months. And someone finally said, well, he seems to be at least okay. And you can stop showing up sort of thing. Uh, but no, I mean, at the time I couldn't verbalize that. I mean, I, at the time in high school, I mean, gaming had its own style at that time, much different than my style is now. I mean, when we first started gaming, it was all about killing the monsters, taking the treasure, and coming up with the, the character that seemed the coolest in comparison to either novels or movies or something. You know, you, a lot of people, especially when you're young, you start out gaming, is just, it's just told it's, the the it's the it's, action. It's, it's yeah. I mean, it really is about the action. I mean, not everyone's like that, but I think in general, if you look at young gamers, uh, yeah, I know, dear, you weren't like that. Uh I'm like that now. Yeah, and some people. It's not necessarily an invalid way to game. It's just, it, it's how a lot of people start. So at the time, it was more about treasure and stuff, so I couldn't verbalize that it was an escape or, or not an escape, but just kind of a time to hang out with friends. Uh... Not that we—I don't know if we were gaming that much during that time. We must have been gaming some. You weren't there for that, Scott. That was still yeah, before you, wasn't that was still it? Still before me. I think at that time, though, we were going to the Renaissance Fair, and we had knives at that point. You're two years younger stuff. than me, right? How old are you? Three. Three. I'm thirty-five. You're now, thirty-five. So, okay. So I'm three behind you. Corey's so you one was two behind
3: you. Eighteen when I first met you.
0: Yeah, because it was just after high school. Okay. I think it was when I was ostracized from the rest of the group, so it was just hanging out with John all the time.
3: Uh, okay, yeah, that's why I didn't meet Pritchard. That was the first disowning. That's why I didn't meet Pritchett or Tony
0: for a while. Right. Okay. Because I didn't start talking to... I don't think I started talking to Tony and them until... Well, no, that was the second time. Let me think. I'm not sure when we started talking again after high school. Because someone else ended up on the outs, I think, during that time period. It's like... Gordon and Tony kind of came back and started hanging out, and Pritchett was on the outs because he was doing his nin- yeah. Because I didn't meet stuff. Pritchett
3: for a while after I met the other the other guys.
0: Right, he was on the outs for that time period. Yeah, but initially it was it was us and John. I know it sounds like a terrible nine hundred two one zero soap opera, <laughs> it's doesn't it? So normal. It really was, though. It won't. with so little sex
4: and no sex. That was.
0: Well, we don't know what Tony and Gordon and them (laughs) did outside of... Now, now. Hey. (laughs) Um, I don't even know where I was talking at that point now.
1: Well, let me get back to the question. I mean, did any... You had fairly um, non-orthodox parents, but did they ever say, you know, Cisco, maybe you shouldn't go around pretending to be a vampire all the time? No.
4: I... I had spent so much of my time growing up pretending to be other things. Not because I didn't want to be who I was, but just because, hey, it would be fun to be a unicorn today. Hey, it would be fun to be Alice in Wonderland today. Hey, it would be fun to be Snow White. Hey, Mom, can I borrow that? Can I borrow that rhinestoney thing? I, I'm going to be glittery today. You know, I I spent most of my childhood. I mean, I was actually just talking to Julian because we just got class pictures done. And he, like his father, is in like the back row in the far corner cause he's like one of the tallest kids in the class. And growing up, I was always, you know, the shortest, smallest person in the class. And so there. they would always put me in the middle of the front row. And everybody like funneled down in a V mm-hmm. to me because I was the shortest, smallest person in the class. But right around Julian's age, right around third grade, I really figured that out and was like, okay, they're going to put me in the middle of the front row. That means you are going to see all of me. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: Okay, bring it on. Stripey leggings, boots with like nine different pairs of laces in them, polka dotted top, dress over that, like bangle bracelets, weird shaped pigtails, clippies in my hair, like anything I could add. She's like, yes, they're going to put me in the middle of the front row. You're going to see every inch of my body. I'm so embracing it. I'm so running with picture day.
2: What kind of picture day do you see every inch of her body?
0: Why wasn't Uh, that my school? About three hours from now. Awesome. (laughs) Can you sit up? New camera. Mm
1: -hmm. Sit up. Okay. Can you hear me better now?
0: Yeah. Can you, you had now?
1: one family member get you into gaming, but did your parents have a yeah, problem? No was she idea. like the was she like the bad aunt that no. was the bad influence <laughs> or what? I don't think
3: she had any idea. I think she just heard about it because it was relatively new at that time. I mean, you know,
1: uh, before they knew it was satanic and evil.
3: Yeah, right. My parents never really thought that. I mean, I'm sure when I was the total loner, they wished you know that I would not be in my room as much and actually have friends, but. You know, when I would, after I would start going to game, I'm, I think they were just glad that I was doing something social. No, I I can
4: add to that story. When Scott first joined our game and we started playing together, I would call the house to, you know, find out if he was on his way over or if he wanted to do dinner or whatever. And his mom would pick up the phone and I would say, you know, is Scott there? And she would. I could hear her set the phone down on the counter, and she would go, "Scott, there's a girl on the phone." And like the first time I showed up at his parents' house to like get him for something, his mom was like, "You really are a girl." Oh my gosh! It was like the first time Did they a check girl you for a deflating had been to th- No, <laughs> it was like the first time a girl had been to the house in what like five years or something. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah. You know. And uh, I also think they were just happy that you know I was going out gaming, not going out drinking and doing mm-hmm. drugs yeah. and stuff. It was you know.
0: Yeah, we didn't. I mean, uh, I know I'm interrupting, but we definitely, as a gaming group, were pretty mellow because we used gaming instead of we didn't drink until late. Yeah, I know. You guys were totally
3: against alcohol and everything. We didn't drink for a
0: while. until yeah. Yeah,
1: right, except for sex.
0: Yeah, oh. Shannon. Yeah, Shannon's his own animal. Dinner.
1: No,
4: you know, and that's kind of funny because in high school, you know i I was very straight edge. I did the X's on my hands, whole thing, and so yeah, I mean, there was never any drinking or smoking or anything in our game. Um, it was a huge thing when Jessica started smoking clothes because we were like, "No,, that's
1: not cool, you can't smoke clothes, no." Do you want a shot at the parent question? Or? I'm
2: I'm probably pretty similar to Scott. I, by the time that I started doing anything that had to do with role-playing, I had been antisocial for so long, but the role-playing came around at the same time that I started to have friends who wanted me to go out and do things. My friends rescued me um, and rescued my mother probably from <coughs> having the worst time with me. If it hadn't been for them, I would have just been still locked in my room mm. reading my comics on my Commodore 64. So role-playing... Was definitely more of a social thing, and my my parents didn't have a problem with that. I, it was tougher the years before that when I would sit and play with my Star Wars figures by myself or uh, read comics in the basement for the whole weekend over at my dad's. And you know, even and before my dad had
4: issues with role playing games, but my dad had issues with my entire <laughs> lifestyle at the time. So. Were
2: they his issues or were they his wife's issues?
4: No, they were his issues, but some of them definitely had to do with role-playing because i would take like my vampire books to his house for the weekend and you know he did have but his was more that he thought that i was like gonna join a satanic cult and like you know become like a blood-drinking freak goth person
1: where did he get that from Did that did that spring from him like spontaneously, or had she started been, and had,
2: when she started drinking blood? High school cult. Didn't <laughs> you know? Aaron the one <laughs> that no, started I mean, the cult? No, you know, I <laughs>
4: honestly don't know where he ever got the cult idea. Um, I suspect that it was probably after he heard me talking about like dressing up and putting in the fangs and going and wandering around town and. That you know I had this whole group of friends that were involved with this thing, and i I'm guessing that's where it evolved from, mm-hmm. but you know, as
1: opposed to hearing it on a news cast somewhere
4: I, I can't be certain where he got that, but that's the closest thing I ever had to like a parent freaking out mm-hmm. like I said that he freaked out more about me living and breathing than yeah, any with specific... your dad, it was part of the
2: course kind of. <clears throat>
4: And that was a very strange transition. You know, I I stopped being, like, uber-tomboy and went, like, punk rock and goth and started wearing, like, big lace skirts and hoops and, like, combat boots and all kinds of stuff. And it was like, whoa, okay, what just happened?
2: It seems like game usually comes about at the time of your life when you're going through a bunch of changes that are going to cause concern for your family anyways. <sighs> So it's not unusual that they're going to go, oh, well, maybe this is part of the problem. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's a lot of things that could be the problem. Um, you're just trying to pinpoint the ones that you would be least blamed for.
4: Right. Or, alternately, the ones that are easiest to eliminate yeah. in their you know, sense of, oh, well, I can eliminate gaming books from my house, so that'll make her a happy person again. No you not being married to the person that you decided to marry would make me a happier person. <laughs> but, you know, that's not really an answer
1: that... How I many minutes in the issue?
0: 42 minutes in. Awesome. <laughs> hey,
1: that's a new record. You are
0: doing so well.
1: it kind of leads into a question I have. You know, I mean, scared parents think that playing a game makes you interested in Satanism or, you know, makes you listen to heavy metal music or makes you do drugs or makes you kill your friend or kill your neighbor's pet or whatever I mean did you guys ever feel like gaming introduced you to other things that people thought were bad or is Not there for me. any validity to that
4: whatsoever not for me, but you know, I spent half of my freshman year carrying around a phone book that had been dipped in homemade acid for a friend of mine. So, vampire books versus real life at high school. Real life at high school was much more involved and scary. And whoa, I didn't even know you could do that. Wait, you, you dosed the cooking teacher with magic mushroom pizza. And she doesn't know. Okay. That explains you know, that, so that, much. Yeah, that, that was quite the day. She she spent the day like under her desk, like waving her hand in front of her <laughs> face. I felt really bad for her, though.
0: I'm sure.
2: I know that the Prodigy boards um, killed my chances at college, but <laughs> it was probably just an excuse to kill my chances at college. I wanted to be a musician. I was going to school for music. I was... Really excited, and uh, then I found the internet and all these people that I could write stories with, and lost interest in doing music and wanted to write comics instead. So it was just a different creative outlet that was easier to reach. I didn't have to drive my stupid van to school and uh, be in the public eye at all.
0: You had a van for high school too.
3: <clears throat>
2: oh I did,
0: yeah, I had to drive a van in high school. Huge, I lived down by the river. <laughs> I had a station wagon in high school. Yeah, uh, I know.
1: Well, in yeah.
2: high school, I had no car. I didn't have a vehicle until I Is was in college. Years.
0: Well, it wasn't for the first six months. When I totaled it, it became a station wagon. <laughs> 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 Don't
4: cars normally get smaller when you total them?
0: I replaced the car that I totaled with the station wagon of the same model and close to the same year. Just told everybody a groom over the it. summer.
1: That's so strange. I don't remember that at all. I remember you transitioning directly from the totaled car to the red car.
0: There was actually very... There was like two years between there where I drove a station wagon.
2: (laughs) Maybe it was just so similar that nobody noticed. Where was (laughs) I?
4: What were you doing here those two years, Beth? Studying,
2: I guess. What what (laughs) mind hallucinogenic drugs did your role-playing lead you into?
1: (laughs) Well, heavy metal. Speaking of heavy metal, I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask is, you know, what other kinds of worrisome media were you guys into? And I say worrisome from, like, an adult parent perspective. Were you guys playing video games? Oh, I played a ton of video games. <laughs> I, I had the
4: original in television, but the irony of that is that my mom and my aunt got hooked on this game called Buzz Bombers in which there were little bees that flew across the screen back and forth, and you were the bug spray can at the bottom of the screen. Are you sure you, you didn't just spray... lick the phone
2: book? What are you talking about?
4: <laughs> no, you had to <laughs> spray the stuff up and hit the bees, but it played Flight of the Bumblebees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can distinctly remember being like 10 years old, like laying in my bed because the, the system was in my room. Because I had an old Commodore, and back in the day you hooked your Commodore up to your TV and used that as your monitor, because they didn't make computer monitors. Yeah. And so the Intellivision had the same thing, it hooked straight into the TV. So since I already had the TV for the computer, they hooked the Intellivision into the TV that was in my room also. But I distinctly remember being like 10 years old, and like 2 o'clock in the morning, laying there listening to the Flight of the Bumblebee music, because they were playing this game, and being like, I have to go to school. You have to stop playing the game, unplug it, and take it in the living room. But
1: so the game was a bad influence on you, but not it, in the way it that was most people It was a bad influence
4: say. on me because I didn't get enough sleep. So yeah, it, it's the irony of the fact that, like, still my mom to this day is like, if I ever find Buzz Bombers again. Well, Corey knows. He actually found me a copy of Buzz Bombers. No, that's not the right music. I mean, that is the music, but it no, it was far more annoying than that.
0: I'm sure. (laughs) I don't know. From my end, I don't think it'd be more annoying than that. It was.
4: It was like pixelated, like computer. We apologize to all our listeners. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm right here. (laughs) Hey.
4: (laughs)
3: We're sorry, Beth. We no, have two other
1: sorry, listeners. Because call... we have two listeners. You wanted to talk about heavy metal for at least a minute.
2: Oh, yeah, but I'm such a bad example because it. my rebellious nature in my teen years was I was almost a priest. I listened to Striper. Um, I was almost a cop. I, I went in the opposite direction of where a lot of people usually go. I never did drugs. My friends who did drugs... Um, wouldn't let me near them. Not that there was anything that was me jumping up saying, Hey, I want to get stoned today or uh, I want to get drunk. No, it was just kind of like, dude, you're screwed up now. Uh, no hallucinogens for you. But I, my mom didn't like people who wore ties. And so I wanted to wear ties in high school. I, I was just so obnoxiously clean. Um, that, it took me a long time just to develop a personality that was uh, a little more abrasive. Um, and a lot of who I am now, I learned from my uncle. Uh, thank you, Uncle Charles. So now I'm, I'm a mouthy cuss, but from about the time that I was up until 16 or so, I was very nerdy. I was very quiet. Um, not necessarily studious, just off in my own world, didn't hang out with a lot of people. And then over a summer, I lost a lot of weight, uh, changed my name, changed my look, grew my hair out, went back to school. People who knew me the year before didn't know that I was the same person, would have conversations with me as Corey about who I was as Donald. Wow. So big differences there, but as far as anything like influence, I got into heavy metal. I definitely got into music and things like that. But my mom, like I said, felt more comfortable with the fact that I had friends. So she was able to go out and get a life. You know, she could go back to school. She could start dating. She could start doing all these things because she didn't have to worry about me all the time. Um, and we became much closer because of it. The time we spent together became better time. Um, so, yeah, I didn't have anything that I was really rebelling against as much as just trying to find my own identity.
1: Well, it sounds like you re- you rebelled against your first identity with your second identity.
2: Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And I spent a lot of time talking to people on the phone. People would get my number and just, like, people I had no idea who they were would call me up and say that they knew about me from somebody else, who knew about me from somebody else, who talked to this person... And I would just get phone calls at all hours of the night and just talk to people about their lives. And that gave me a lot of, just opened my mind up to a lot of things that I would never experience myself. Like teen abortion and drug addiction and parental abuse and things like that. Just trying to talk to people about their lives.
4: You ran your own personal teen helpline?
2: Sort of. You know, and that's what begat the the All Men Are Scum No Exceptions t-shirts that were being printed up based around something I'd said to a girl that all the girls kind of like loved and they they made t-shirts and started finding each other because of the t-shirts and then made one for me that said um, said the same thing on the front, all men are scum no exceptions, but on the back it said but if you're really good, you're an asshole um
1: so you inadvertently formed your own feminist organization
2: I definitely felt (laughs) like, um, well I, I got along better with women than I did with guys um but I later developed guy friends too. It just, it was hard for a while. Cause I didn't fit in with guys that well. But yeah, I just, I just didn't close anybody off. You know, I felt like if you were an open and honest person that there's something to you that I could find some common ground with. Um, and anybody who was accepting me at that point in time, that was still brand new to me. I was like, thank God, <laughs> you know, someone likes me.
1: Yeah. What about you? Did you have any other influences?
3: Um, I was not a rebellious kid, yeah, so nothing real, I mean, I remember once listening to a Danzig CD where my mom was just like, I don't want you listening to this like, yeah, whatever, Mom. <laughs>
1: yeah. Did she give a reason, or did she It just... was
3: because it was a weird devil chant thing, I remember. I forget which one it was, but, you know... Danzing my... was trying way too hard to be... Yeah, he was. My mom is religious, cute, actually. and I am totally not, and she always wished I was more religious, yeah. and, you know, I'm an atheist, so it didn't really work out. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I don't that really was... know your parents at all, so I'm kind of... I, I know Cisco, and I come from very liberal parentage.
3: My dad's not religious, but my mom is. And now my sister became really just where she used to not be, which is kind of freaky. And well, her when kids your life are, goes into such a
2: painful zone, usually finding God is is something that you cling to. Yeah, I you know. uh, uh, oh, That
1: got Obama in trouble when he said that.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's true. The only thing I could think of that you know my they never said anything, but you know it was probably weird for me. It was every day at lunch I would come home from high school and watch either First Rambo, First Blood, or uh, Highlander you know, on video, and it's, like, <laughs> every single every day. day. That probably, you know, put some, you know, pause in them. But, yeah, I was But never, they didn't stop you from it. No, no. You know, that was the only thing, I you know. Um, like I said, I was not a rebellious kid. I had one friend when I was growing up, you know, until I was 16, and then none. Um, I was thinking of something, though, for the earlier... What we were talking about earlier is I've always been into games even before I had D&D. We used to play board games for hours, you know, Risk, Monopoly, where we'd stay up all frickin' night and play it, and that was always a blast to me, just, I don't know if it's just the structure, you're not gonna, it gives you a framework to be social in, Mm -hmm. or if, since I'm, you know, socially awkward, or even, you know, even with my friends, I guess I must have been, but it's just, uh, it gives you a framework to build upon, and we'd just spend frickin' hours. You know, we'd stayed at each other's house, at, or we had a trailer, a vacation trailer, and that's where we'd have you know when when people stay over my house, we'd stay in the trailer, so we wouldn't bug my parents and just play Monopoly all night or Risk or something. But know yeah. Anyways, that was a different subject, but yeah, again, nothing really. My sister was the my sister was the one that was the rebel, so I was always the good kid. Is she older. Yeah, she's three years older than me. And she went to, she was the one that got me into heavy metal too. She went to you know YNT and Night Ranger, and this that was my first concert. But she it's would not wear a
1: bad first concert.
3: She would wear the leather miniskirts, and you know all our friends would have the big, the, all the the leather clothes and the big poofy hair. I hated and those and girls. All that stuff.
1: I hated those it girls.
3: Uh, so all her friends. I have not.
1: I wanted to set their hair on fire.
3: Oh, uh, and
0: I would just go with them, and yeah, I, know, I was set just,
1: somebody's hair on fire once.
0: I used and, to
2: get set on fire a lot actually. <laughs>
0: I've set myself on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I've observed
2: that.
3: But uh, my sister brought me to those situations cause I, because I was socially awkward and mm-hmm. I didn't talk to people, I didn't bug them, I, didn't, I wouldn't rat on her. So, you know, that was always, I could be in the background and just observe the craziness and not actually be a part of it. But
4: drive the only reason later. I was there
3: is because I wasn't bugging them and not being a part
1: of it. Drive her home later, right?
3: No, I was too young for that. You but, were too yeah. young to drive. Around. Did, yeah.
1: Did you, in watching the way they behaved, like go? I don't want to be like that. I mean,
3: no, I don't. It didn't really affect me either way. I had fun screwing with them when they were totally wasted, you know. When they're like tripping out at the plant because it's breathing, you know, just taking a flame in front of their face and waving it was just kind of fun. But other than that, it was just you know, it was just my sister and friends. It was like whatever. It didn't affect me either way. It didn't want to. It didn't make me want to go. Ooh, I want to do those drugs or make me you know totally against them either i don't know it didn't really
1: Mm.
3: have any effect on me it's kind of weird (laughs) yeah i think i was so indifferent
2: to the idea of drugs that it wasn't like i wanted to try them it's not like i was against them per se i just didn't really care about the idea of doing them
3: although it did make me i always wanted to try acid just once because i remember how trippy she was on acid and her boyfriend and I always wanted to try it just once. I never did, but I always just wanted to. <laughs> it's not
1: too late. Yeah, that's
3: true.
2: Cisco you, might still have some. <laughs> no,
0: There's a phone book somewhere.
2: Let your fingers see no, the walking. The phone book is just start licking
1: pages over there.
2: Right. Yeah. Now, but you said that didn't you? Try in your rave days, like herbal ecstasy or something like that. We
3: did that. I did. I did eat normal E with. It was always better with speed. Straight E was too mellow. But <laughs> wow, um, well, it was mixed. I didn't do speed separately. It was just like it came in a pill, and it, you know, it was cut with Still. it, yeah, and you know shrooms are fun, but I only did those like two or three times, and, and was E was only thing. specifically for by the time I did drugs, I was old enough to be able to handle it and become prepared, you know, 'cause the main problem with E was people would get way overheated, they wouldn't drink water and they'd pass out from heat exhaustion or whatever. We had, you know, our cargo pants where we had water in both pockets. We had hard candies and stuff for, you know, sugar rush. We came prepared. We were all set. And we knew, like, we had one rave we went to. This is totally off the subject. But, you know, the the previous year, it ended at 6 a.m. in the morning. So we were prepared the next year, it was a New Year's Eve thing, to be dancing until 6 a.m. in the morning. It was like nine hours straight of dancing.
1: Yeah.
3: Which, you know, you couldn't do if you were sober. But, you know. It was possible, but we took our second hit at two a.m. and suddenly the play, it ended at two a.m. We were,
1: you know, oh, we went out
3: in the parking lot. Everybody's pupils were huge, you know? <laughs> and we were smart enough for like I'm not driving in this. No way. We just hung out in the car for you know, <laughs> it's just like let everybody let everybody else get out of the parking lot. You know, it's like we were old and since I waited so long, it seemed like I was mature enough to be able to handle them more responsibly. Right. So
4: See, I spent most of the years that everybody I knew did drugs keeping them from, like, jumping off bridges and leaping into fires and swimming off into the ocean.
3: Well, I so. hope my nephew has learned something because his whole family is highly addictive in nature. And his, as I've said before, I think is his uncle cut off his own toe because he thought it was alive and was part of him (laughs) and i'm hoping he has learned from that and will never try drugs just because it screwed up his uncle so badly and that he comes from a line of addictive personalities i know that when i when
2: i have gone through phases where i drink and not like phases where i'm drinking all the time and stuff but just when i would drink at a party or a social situation, especially if Mani was there because Mani was a horrible influence on me, I would drink to the point where I wouldn't remember anything. It would just be like, I would black out, and hopefully nothing too bad would happen unless I wake up one day and I'm stripping in a mall because a certain song is playing on the radio.
0: Ladies night.
2: But yeah, I I could tell that if it was that easy for me to go from one drink to gone that drinking for me was not something that I should do too much but any anytime that I did I was with people that would reasonably yeah. keep an eye on me oh. and- yeah I mean like I've always had very responsible
3: friends I mean we were drunk one time and I was went out to my car to pass out because it was a place where nobody would bug me and I could pass out and sleep and you know not get stepped on or whatever and you know my friends come out knock on the door wake me up make me give them the keys you know which i'm just like i can't move my head so i just grab the keys <laughs> throw it at them all right and then you know so i would have to go be sober enough to go get my keys from them before i could drive anywhere you know so it felt good I buried, to have friends
0: that
4: hmm? i buried a bunch of people's keys one time now Sean's we are
1: getting office. off the subject yes. <laughs> Now so we're even party, party them stories up. So I know I think we're that at about... That should be a, a new subject. We're, we're at about an hour, but I have a couple more questions. That's if you guys are okay. game for that. Go, Gotcha. Um, yeah. To segue kind of back into the conversation, you, did you guys ever encounter anything like a, a movie or something, a game, or something that was just too intense or too much for you? Chris, I know that you don't watch scary movies, but... That's kind of probably a different matter, but you know, just where, as a kid, you knew where your limit was.
0: Mm. It's like a complicated question, isn't it?
3: What was that movie, The Rose McGowan with the big?
2: Oh yeah, Doom she Generation. Was... Yeah, that was freaky. Oh, that was a wrong
0: the, movie.
1: The,
2: no.
0: the one where the baby dies.
2: <laughs> the one uh, you can't handle it. Transferring. Oh,
3: I, that was freaky.
0: Kids. I guess I'm not making the correlation Thanks. though between gaming and. No, I, I, yeah. I can't remember that, anything. That has nothing game. To do with game for me.
2: That well, no, I think with, I can see under, kind of a fact of everybody has their limit, you know. And for parents, it may be that to them what we think is perfectly okay or not, might not be okay. Like role playing, if especially when you've got a religious family or background is that role-playing is just considered evil right off the bat because you're talking about things like witchcraft like the the people who can't handle the harry potter books because there's wizardry and stuff involved and they think it's all black magic i think that realistically we do all have our limits like the glendanzig comic oh. that disturbed the hell out of us and i don't personally feel that there was any reason for that comic to be made but on the flip side of it i realize that they have to have the right to make it I saw no redeeming value to the story. Hart D. Fisher actually wrote it. Um, it was grotesque to me. It just made me feel awful. Um,
1: How old were you when you saw it?
2: In my oh. 20s. Yeah. <laughs> but we
4: were Well, we were working at the comic shop then, and so we were stocking shelves with mm-hmm. these books. And there was a few books in the adult comic section that just every week it was... Why?
2: I read it because I knew that it was... It was supposed to be a horrible story. I read it because I knew that people were talking about and were trying to fight it even being published and stuff. And Harty Fisher is a guy who makes his business to disturb people, to go against the grain, to piss people off, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, I I like him personally in a lot of ways. I don't always agree with him, Um, but... I read the story knowing that it was bad. It's just when I read it, I was like, oh, you know, I just can't believe that this, someone wrote this, someone felt this story in their head and had to get it out on paper. But then I've gone back and written things that have disturbed other people who are close to me, and... Yes, you have. Yeah, but I don't, I don't feel anything, (laughs) I don't feel like they were that disturbing, but I guess it's all context. And yeah, I've definitely hit my limits on things before. I will never own that comic i will never own a copy of kids um train spotting didn't bother me as much um but i can understand why you feel the way that you do and melinda felt the same way and quirky i think has felt the same way since having a child
3: he didn't feel like that before he had her mine that was just creepy because it was a kid kids and they do they're realizing that now there's a lot of horror movies with kids that are just kids are creepy it's kind of like clowns to me Yeah, creepy. Clowns and uh, (laughs) ventriloquist
2: dummies and French Canadians.
0: I think for me, there's... The one thing I think of related to to gaming in the sense is that there was definitely a book that... For the Vampire series, and I can't remember the name, and I was going to go look on the bookshelf, but I figured I'd feel like... The Black
2: Dog stuff? Is that what it was? There was
0: some of the Black Dog stuff. That's who... Yeah, that's right. It was the side production company that did stuff for White Wolf. And there was pictures that were in there And the context was basically It was just there to shock people You know Pictures where it was like You know This female vampire chick In a, in a men's room Where her genitalia had teeth And I mean just There's a movie like that right now Yeah there is. Yeah, is <laughs> I'll, I'll run right out and see it Comment No it's,
3: it's, it's, it's a comedy Yeah Well sort of comedy Yeah
2: Huh. So that's the only time I think that. that
0: I've really had an issue with anything gaming-related. I can't think of any movies.
4: That's true. I was disturbed by those books, too. Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't go see horror movies because they don't... I mean, I have enough nightmares and stuff. I don't need anything to fuel that. I don't get anything out of them. Most of them are just there to to disturb me. I don't...
4: Well, and I have to say that... Changeling's good, though.
0: you got to see that horror movie. It's taken
4: good. a really disturbing turn. <laughs> Is that the George the Scott one?
3: Yeah, I've seen it. Years,
4: years. You know, horror movies used to be about scaring people, you know, like plot twists mm-hmm. and things popping out and, like, <gasps> startling, like the wolves in uh, Resident Evil, like things popping through windows and stuff. And the dogs.
0: Dogs, the dog. but yeah, it's Do- close enough. Dogs, wolves. Or in some was, cases,
1: uh, oh. creeping you
4: out psychologically. Right, or bugs, or whatever it was. And now... It seems like the majority of the horror movies are about just extreme amounts of violence.
2: But you can say that about almost every category. I mean, everything has gone more extreme. No, I know,
4: but I, I personally find it disturbing that so many people think it's entertaining to go to a movie theater and pay money to go in and watch a girl get dismembered. And that's... of an entertaining movie
2: that's that's my problem
4: that disturbs me more as a woman and a feminist and a mother of a small girl that you know where is society going if we think that it's entertaining to watch people be pulled apart and dismembered and destroyed and that's part of our entertainment right now well, well it's you know, because just it, like I was extremely disturbed when they were doing the gallery showing with all the bodies that had been dipped in wax. You know, I, as an artist, I can look at it and say, that might be interesting. but f-
3: dipped in wax? This, they, is, this isn't took, a cadaver thing. then Yeah,
4: they took cadavers and, like, wax sealed them. But the, the thing that uh, I found... I saw found, the
3: rubberized one. That was cool, though. The
4: thing that I found disturbing about it, for me personally, was that they posed them in really bizarre things. Like, they, they posed one of them, like, doing the touchdown dance with the football. And, like, they had them in all these just really bizarre, in my opinion, demeaning poses. And I was like, you know, I can understand doing it in a way that, you know, not respected the bodies but that was tasteful you know i i don't know why you would need to wax bit dip a cadaver and make it do the the super bowl shuffle no part of my brain connects to that and says oh hey yeah Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) i haven't seen that that the one i saw was the rubberized bodies and they had somebody throwing a football but it was just to show how the muscles go when they're doing right and
4: that, that i think is you know. worthwhile and interesting because the, the, there's some merit to it. The
3: only disturbing part I saw of that show was they skinned somebody and they just had the skin there. That was kind of
2: mm. freaky. But that, the, well, that's what you're looking for, though, is you're looking for merit. And I, I think that's, that's I've said this before about, in comparison of, there's the Saw movies, which is a lot of that torture, horror kind of thing, and then there's the, um, what's the other one? The hostile,
4: The torture porn.
2: The, the torture porn. And... Uh, Hostile was really more about guys than girls in the first one. They went to women in the second one. Um, My problem with Hostile was not the fact of it was the torture horror genre, um, but that I thought it was a really lousy movie. I thought it just, it didn't really deliver on story. It didn't deliver on characters. I just, I kind of wanted everybody to die in it. Whereas with Saw, there was, there was something else going on there. And it may have just been the mythology of um, how they were making the traps and how they were causing it. And the idea of uh, Jigsaw himself kind of using it as a way of educating people about how to respect life and to not put themselves into horrible situations and blame everything else except themselves on it. That I could enjoy Saw, I couldn't enjoy hostile. But we watched Cloverfield last night, and Cloverfield was a very non-gory movie, um, was a horror sci-fi kind of thing, but at the end of it, you know, Aaron, who's the big horror fan, um, just was like, well, it wasn't that scary, except for the spider creatures that come out, and that just freaks her out because they are spider creatures. She goes, it just wasn't very scary. And I'm like, well, was it scary because it wasn't bloody enough, or was it scary because there weren't enough you know surprise moments that freak you out what is it that makes a film scary there's extremes going on in every kind of film action films went into a huge extreme in the rambo era yeah. and the arnold schwarzenegger era where it was like how many bodies were there going to be and horror films have gotten more and more bloody from where they originated and comedy films have gotten more and more silly or more and more grotesque like the big thing right now is uh male genitalia in movies harold and kumar and that um getting over a sarah marshall movie or whatever it is they both have male genitalia scenes and they're making this big deal out of it right now because it's like why am i seeing dong pop up in my films um but it's just it's something where people are going and it's it's because we you can argue yes or no but basically we've gotten desensitized as people as moviegoers well, of mtv watchers
3: tv i think the first TV. This is a totally off subject, but the, it's first started going desensitizing more or more um, racy. I think was in living color was the first thing that started bringing up a lot of stuff to me. At least I was when I was watching it at that time. It, they started using harsher words. You know, it was it moonlighting was th- the first time I heard bitch and bastard on TV. Yeah.
2: and I was like, whoa. You know, I'm like, this is regular television. <laughs>
3: I don't really watch gore movies. Sometimes I like gore movies that are just gore movies to be make fun of of other gore movies, like the Tar- the Tarantino ones, the uh, the, the Planet yeah. Terror and yeah, those ones were just.
0: I couldn't watch Grindhouse. No, no,
3: I didn't see the second one yet. I still haven't seen the one with Kurt Russell. The was it Kurt Russell? Yeah, yeah, the one with the cars. I got to watch that one. But well, I could only handle that. I could only handle half the movie. It was gory. It, it was hilarious but it was only it was just too much so i watched half
0: of it well
2: the the rodriguez one was just over the top silly yeah which rodriguez films usually are i mean if you look at desperado and things like that it's just so out there over the top that you just kind of like chuckle at it yeah you know it's not like it's really whereas i think with hostile it's it's silly in a certain sense because it's just it's so ridiculous the idea of it but then
3: well, what's that it's movie about that trying you, to just you made me watch people. with with uh feast yeah oh yeah feast uh, is great <laughs> that was <laughs> just an odd movie <laughs> it totally too. was yeah um but back on subject yeah nothing i can't think of anything that's game related
0: it's well not... and i think for you know gaming's like anything else you have your various subgroups in it or whatnot and i think gaming in general stays at a fairly vanilla level, I guess, or a fairly neutral level. I mean, there's, yeah, most games have combat in them, but they're not graphic. Right. You know, they're their combats, in most cases, you have dice. You're using a uh, very arbitrary system of hit points or something like that that has no... Real physical ramifications to it, and you can add some descriptives to, you know, get yourself a little bit more into it. You know, oh, he, you know, hits you in the arm, or you know, yeah, they have vital break your legs or those sort of things. But overall, it's not super graphic. You know, the violence is not. It's there to just kind of resolve an encounter more than anything else, and I think you. Do get the groups that will then delve into storylines that get to the more darker aspects of human nature, the uh, the storylines where there's rape or there's uh, really gory violence mm-hmm. and those sort of things. I mean, the you know the module that I'm just finishing up with the other Friday night group has gotten some flack for being overly uh, g- not gory but just very Bizarre and kind of gross. I mean, it. The whole concept is a. Uh, the carnival comes to town, and it's being overrun by dark fae. You know, dark fairies, dark brownies, and whatnot. And they turn a, a what should be a pleasant carnival setting, where you know, set in medieval times, has you know, big wheels to test your strength, uh, ale houses, and things like that. To when. The they come in, it, it starts off with the fireworks show actually raining down leeches on people. But because of the magic, there's a magic illusion over the thing that most people don't realize it's happening. It turns it into fireworks even though it's not. But there's things where the the brownies are uh, you know, strapping people to the wheel to test their strength. And passerbys don't notice it because of the illusions and the magic. And they're spinning this wheel. And as they're doing it, they're tearing apart other patrons of the fair or um, an ice carving contest because it happens in the winter and all these people are happily trying to you know win the ice carving contest and don't realize that there are people trapped in the blocks of ice and as they're cracking through mm-hmm. a finger drops onto the ground and that you know across the message boards where you know the gamers go and talk about things that module got a lot of flack because they felt it was kind of over the top you know To me, yeah, maybe a little over the top, and I I read the descriptions as written, but didn't embellish on them and didn't, you know, dwell on them, so I didn't play it up as much as you probably could. Some groups would probably really like that, some wouldn't like it at all, you know, I mean, there's definitely your subgroups that have that sort of thing. We had a period in game where we wanted to play
3: uber characters, and we played evil characters, I remember, and we i mean i remember i had a mage that we we just wanted to make him as powerful as possible and we decided we wanted to cut loose and just make him evil and i remember i had a mage who got attacked by something and i got pissed off and i just destroyed a whole village just cuz i could you know and, but we never got into <coughs> gory details it's just you know oh yeah a rain of fire goes and kills everybody but we still ha- we were still We've never been dark people, because even at those times, we we didn't go into details. We wouldn't talk about, like, you know, dead kids or dead... I always have a weird thing with animals. I don't like killing... I, I don't mind seeing, you know, imaginary people dead, but I don't like seeing imaginary dogs or imaginary animals dead. Yeah, but so. I mean, so if, you, if you
0: take that and you... That was at the very early stage of our gaming. So yeah. we were probably very early 20s for us, mid-20s. For you. Yeah. Um you take that game where it was the D and D game and we decided to go evil and you know, I had the evil cleric and and I think yeah, you're the magic user, and yeah, we did things that we thought were evil. You know, and we just kind of tried to think of things that you saw in movies or the it was very still very cartoonish, very unrealistic right. in our head. Exactly. You know, whereas if you take the game that happened probably five years later, which was the Sabat game that, we, that I ran for a bit, mm-hmm. um, that started to go more on the psychological aspect of evil, which in some respects almost felt more real oh, definitely. in how we portrayed evil, because you kind of had a better sense of uh, what really is an atrocity, I guess, it, to people, and not that any of us really got into it because I think that game was very short-lived too because you end up just I mean those evil games yeah the, they don't hold our attention very long
3: it's just something we're like oh we feel like cutting loose just kill some things and then it's over and we're done and we go back to our normal stuff right.
2: yeah it's kind of I don't think that we're a group that has that mentality of wanting to hurt people or anything <laughs> like that we don't it's not our fantasy it's not something that we really want to play out I mean I will write certain stories just to write a story but i don't have the urge to play a totally violent character in a game or anything else like that i'll play a dick but i won't necessarily be a guy who we just don't constantly all. want to like it's certainly not the the rape aspect or anything else like that that now i cannot handle seeing a rape in a movie um versus i can totally see death and you know like bloody gore stuff but rape always messes me up my kids I, mess yeah. me up now yeah
0: I mean, ever since I mean I I have a hard time now with things like CSI where they constantly I mean we skipped an episode two weeks ago because it was about the three year old kid oh. and all that and it was all like right. I couldn't get past the first five or ten minutes until it was like you know what I just don't need to watch this I don't. Aaron couldn't hopefully. handle the one with
2: the dogs yeah. I and I was dogs, pretty but... sickened with her
0: but I mean other aspects too is, I mean like uh, sex rarely comes up in our gaming. Yeah. I mean it, other than people right. in live action trying to get it. <laughs> um I think you know
4: occasionally you get like the offhanded, "Hey, is the farmer's daughter
0: cute?" Yeah, I mean we joke know, around, so but stupid. I but I was actually us. in a game
2: with Jared and Elise and uh Mike Rose that was run by Koski's roommate at the time, uh Captain Cable. Oh, okay. Um, he ran a game and my paladin there character There's wound up
4: names. losing
2: his virginity to some random bar winch and everything. And I just, I, I remember sitting there and like, why are we role playing this? Do I even really want this to happen? But I was just kind of in the game with everybody else. And yeah, I was so inexperienced role playing anyways. I was like, I'll just go along with it. And it was just, it was thankfully very silly and very brief. Um, Much like real life, (laughs) but I was just—I didn't really see why it
0: was, why it would even be fun in the
2: game. It was just creepy.
0: Yeah, I think we're we're a pretty mellow group of people. So I mean, and and most the other groups that I'm in, you know, the Sunday night group.
3: We had one game where we had sex, but it was more like you know you met a girl and you and. I eventually like married her or something in the game, and then we had kids. It was like for the future of the storyline, just so I have a continuation for when the story ends, I have a, a, a an end or something to my character.
0: Yeah, but we never... I mean, it's just not an aspect we play up. I mean, no. we play up developing a character and how they grow in strength or how they personally develop such that they become either more devout or they uh, turn into a leader, those sort of things. I think we just... We tend to play to be, I'd say heroic, but then that would leave out most of Corey's characters. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Different kind of hero.
0: To develop into something that we see the character developing into, but it, it never really resolves around the extremes, I guess. Yeah. I mean.
1: Well, I wanted to go back to what Cisco was saying about the trend toward extreme physical violence and horror movies and a lot of the reading that I've done suggests that what we see in our media reflects whatever the culture needs at that time in terms of, I mean, we're in a five-year war right now. Right. We have a lot of inner city violence. People probably to some extent have a need to figure out what that's like.
2: Although we're in a five-year war that a lot of people are very apathetic to, which is that's a Well, good point. and I have to wonder, too,
4: there's definitely a part of me that says, have I become more sensitive to the violent sort of movies and things? Because I am a parent, and I do have innocent children that I'm trying... You know, not that I think that media exposure is going to affect my children in the long run, but certainly in the short run. you yeah. know, I, def- I don't even want my children seeing the commercials for those mm-hmm. movies.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Not because at some point they might not watch them, but because right now at their developmental cognitive stage, it would not be healthy for them to be wondering why that's supposed to be entertaining.
1: Well, I think partly our needs change as we get older. I mean, I asked a question about Have you guys run into things that were too much for you? And you all all gave examples of stuff recently. You know, nothing from your teen years. I think that teenagers probably have a higher need for and a higher threshold for really intense ideas. Anime.
0: (laughs) Anime
4: really bothered me in my teen years.
0: Not all anime. Certain anime. Yeah.
1: Okay, the anime that I was exposed to <laughs> in my teenage years... Was it the sexy anime or the violent anime? Sexy wouldn't be Both. the way to put it. Mm-hmm. There was sex the, involved. There was sex involved. <laughs> I
4: would not say it was sexy in any way.
2: Legend of the Overfiend.
4: Demon oh. Beast Invasion. God
2: damn.
0: But right. also keep in mind, though, is, I mean, it's it's hard to make that comparison about when we were teenagers to now because it's just not the same. I mean, the violence that we saw was definitely leaps and bounds different than it is today so it's it's hard for us to try to think well i turned out normal and i was you know yeah laugh that i turned out normal thanks um that you know but i you know my parents my dad let me see nudity early i mean 10 or 11 i mean there was definitely boobs on the screen and whatnot and, and that sort of thing and that that exposure, you know, seemed pretty normal at that time. Nowadays, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a poor example because it seems pretty mild in comparison to the violence and whatnot.
1: There's been naked breasts for all eternity.
0: Right. Okay. But the violence has definitely uh, stepped up from, you know, watching.
4: I, th- I would say, like, another example of that would be, like, when we were kids, our parents at least my parents certainly watched movies that, you know, swearing up a storm. I mean, my parents watched Evil Dead with me when I was like eight, seven. I mean, I I was not nearly old enough to be watching Evil Dead. Like the whole trees chasing through the forest, zombies in the floor, padlock thing.
0: that probably still give me nightmares.
4: To this day, I'm like yeah. Ugh I and now, as an adult, knowing what movie it was, I'm like, whoa. But, you know, as a kid, I was like, yeah. And then there was, like, these crazy zombies, and they locked them into the floor. But Evil Dead and to me seems swearing. so silly.
2: Yeah, I It know. does
4: now, but as a kid, I was like, why is the tree chasing them through the forest? What, what is going on here? Yeah, I think- but, you know, it's like, as a parent, I would never let Julian watch Evil Dead right now.
1: But at the same time, I mean, this is the thing I keep coming up with over and over again, is that kids get the stuff that the parents don't get in a lot of these movies. Like I was reading today, a woman was talking about she didn't understand that Scream was supposed to be funny. Or not Scream, but, you know. One of those. And, you know, her kids were sitting there laughing, getting the satire. And she was like, oh, my God, I didn't realize this was supposed to be a humorous movie. I thought it was, you know, disemboweling and horrible. So Maybe
2: scary movie or... That's actually a comedy or it might have actually scream was i think it was a parody Mm -hmm. yeah and scream definitely had sort of a tongue-in-cheek idea as to how the horror genre is and and laughed at the horror genre a lot um i don't know that i necessarily watched scream and laugh scream freaked me out when i was a kid i was freaked out by things like that movie magic with the invitroloquist dummy Mm -hmm. i remember being totally terrified of um the halloween movie the first movie I was over at my grandparents' house. My uncle was watching with a bunch of his friends. They were teenagers. And uh, Michael Myers killed a girl in the car, cut her throat, and her head hit the horn, and the horn was just blaring. And I was just freaking out. Um, and that got to me for years. I, but I also was freaked out by seeing meatloaf get eaten in Rocky Horror. And when my mom brought it up while we were eating meatloaf, I couldn't eat meatloaf for years after that you you have your different levels of things that'll get to you but like i said earlier anything with rape in it was going to freak me out anything with violence towards women for a long time i couldn't help but be more disturbed by that than violence against guys um i don't know exactly even why it just really bothered me any character that you got to care about in a movie and then they died you know that that was worse than the horrible, violent deaths that you'd see in Friday the 13th where you don't give a damn about any of those people.
0: Yeah, I think the other part of that, though, is there's there's a different context that I can put it in now than I could as a teenager. I mean, as a kid, you you see the violence on the TV and you, and you see that, but it's on the TV. You know I mean? You don't, you don't have that real-world context to put it <clears> in to make it seem like it could actually happen. You know, I mean, you don't read the paper, not that I read the paper now, but if I read the paper, I'd be able to, you know, make that context that it was someone you knew, you know, what I mean, they didn't had those life experiences. But if you're a teenager that ran into something at an early age that hardened you, so to speak, mm-hmm. early on, then all that stuff would have a totally different meaning because you had that hardened context to put it into.
1: Something from reality.
0: Yeah, something that that made that leap that broke that barrier from that it was fantasy to that this could actually happen it could be reality. Something Yeah, the difference between a boogeyman
2: and um a prison in a uh, time of
3: war. That's what me and Paula don't even watch half the movies that come out anymore because of the way the world is now. We don't want to see that real-world violence that you know, you see every day on the news. We see movies to escape, so we only pretty much watch movies that have good endings or fun movies or happy movies. We don't watch those movies just because it's a form of escape. It's not... We don't want stuff that harkens back to the crap that's happening every day that makes you feel like What was the movie about the Jews that
2: went after the guys who killed the uh, people from the Olympics? Oh, yeah. I forget what that was called. Oh, it's a really good movie, but it was Munich? Yeah, Munich. Um was just the whole scene of the guys coming in and killing all the that olympic team um because of religious differences and stuff and it was so violent so horrible and it was real life that was being played out in this movie but it was something that actually happened right and that that's very different from what you know we watched when we were younger because when we were younger there was a shield up against the real world you didn't know these things could really happen you know, you had a Halloween or a Nightmare on Elm Street, and those are things that were ridiculous. They were boogieman scenarios. But now the most horrific things we see in films are things that are emulating what happens in the real world and what you see on the news, and the news is sometimes so much worse. And they're not shielding anything anymore. In fact, they they make their money by trying to show more of it.
3: Yeah. So that's that's way scarier. <laughs> when, when I was a kid, the gore and stuff didn't bug me because it... There was no context for it. The things that freaked me out were more psychological ones like The Changeling and uh Altered States freaked me out when I was a kid. That's just a trippy movie.
0: But I don't remember the premise of the changeling more. I remember something about a house, there was a stained glass window up there. It, it was there. There just was it was a ghost not,
3: movie. It was just a ghost movie, but it was more suspense oriented. It was psychological. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't, you know Yeah. I, I
4: had problems with ghost movies when I was a kid. Because my dad, the first house that my dad bought after he and my mom split up, um, like literally within days after we finished all the paperwork and everything had been signed over and it was officially our house, they arrested the guy that we had bought it from for burying bodies under the Monterio Hotel. Wow. And I just remember we walked out in the backyard and there was these... Like all the perimeter of the yard was all these brick planters that were all like a body width and like you know two and a half feet tall that ran the whole yard and they had these huge plants that were just fabulous growing out of them and I was just like oh we are never digging those up (laughs) never taking anything out of those planters and for years until we until he sold that house I had major ghost movie Mm. things so I was like no we do not need to be bringing the idea of ghosts into this house in any way because who knows what's lurking around out in the backyard you know and like I would not go in the backyard in the dark for years I mean not at at my mom's house my mom's house was fine but that particular house I was just like Something about that house and I'm sure that it was a psychological thing that like once I found out that the man was a murderer, mm-hmm. like yeah. the whole atmosphere of the house changed for me. But it it was really creepy for a long time. And to this day I don't think anyone has ever dug up those planters.
1: <laughs> the um the thing you were saying about Evil Dead kind of brings me to the last question I had, which is did you guys have any influence in your life growing up? Not stuff now, but stuff that you were exposed to growing up that you think kids should not be exposed to? Or do you think that, you know, you were exposed to it it turned out fine? And then now you think maybe that wasn't such a good thing.
2: Does anybody here think they turned out
0: fine? (laughs)
1: Beth thinks she turned out fine.
0: I think I turned out okay.
1: Well, I was going to go back to what you said. I mean, you were talking about coming out normal. You happily married, healthy kids, well paying job. You know, you have the quote unquote things that people are supposed to get by this point in, in life. You know, you're not the burnout bum Drunky. doing drugs or killing people that somebody might have predicted based on your media influences growing up.
0: Um, I don't know if I have anything particular in media. I mean, are there things when I was a teenager that I wish I hadn't experienced, or <laughs> I wouldn't wish people to experience? Sure.
1: I think we all have those. Uh,
0: I don't think there's things specifically media-related. I mean, I yeah, I watched nudity early on. Uh, definitely some some gore and whatnot. And I think I think in moderation, I think all of it's probably fine.
3: Actually, I mean, there's been stories... I mean, there's been... You know, I listen to Dr. Dina Dell a lot, and you know. There's been studies for, you know, Europe versus America and how kids in Europe are so much better because they drink alcohol with their families and stuff and it's not a big deal when it comes up to the point where they can suddenly drink. They don't go binge drinking because it's like, oh, whatever, I've been Uh drinking for my whole life. Uh It's not that, you know, it's whatever. It's what you do at social events at dinner. It's not, you know, go out and binge myself totally under the table. Right. So I think moderation, bad things in moderation for kids where they can be supervised by their parents and taught what these things are and how to deal with them is a better way of going about it than just having them encounter them on their own when they're suddenly of the legal age that, you know, quote-unquote legal age that Mm -hmm. somebody has decided
4: Well, I would say that applies to a lot of things, too, because, like, Madison has a friend at school who, I don't want to say her parents are granola hippies, but her parents are very concerned about the types of foods that she's exposed to. She's never been allowed to get a school lunch. You know, her mom packs her, you know, pita bread sandwiches with hormone-free chicken and, you know, vegan mayonnaise and, you know... And and I don't fault her mother for it, because I mean, her mother has very firm beliefs about what she wants her to eat. But at the same time, as a parent who goes into the classroom, because I am on campus, and, you know, I do come into the class to, like, help pass out cupcakes on birthdays and all that kind of stuff, and it's like, this child is just so ecstatic to eat anything that has any kind of processing. I mean, I watched this child lick frosting off the table the last time someone brought cupcakes in because she was so excited (laughs) about frosting and sprinkles. And, you know, it's like, I look at that and say, is this child, yes, having a healthy lifestyle now, but you know, when she gets to be ten or eleven or twelve and has her own spending money, is she going to gain five hundred pounds when she starts living on Suzy Qs? Right. Because her entire life it's been that like forbidden fruit, <gasps> cupcakes. You know, and it's like I've always tried to instill in my children the way that I was instilled in me in my childhood. You know, all things in moderation. No, you don't eat McDonald's every night. But occasionally, okay, sure. If they've got a cool toy in their kid's meal, all right, we can go have McDonald's. Right. I'd prefer you get chicken than the weird, like, pressed meat thing, McRib. But, you know.
3: Mm, McRib. Could But, you know,
4: yeah, get the apple wedges with the caramel dip because I want you to eat the apples and I'm willing to let you eat the caramel dip to get the apples. Caramel
2: McRib. (laughs)
4: But going back to what you were saying about drinking in Europe and children drinking, you know, when I was a kid, obviously I'm from an Italian family. And every Sunday night was family dinner night. And we did all have a glass of wine. And, you know, yeah, mine was a shot glass that had, you know, half, maybe a half a cup of wine in it. Mm,
1: but it crack. was,
4: you know, my glass of wine that I was toasting the rest of the family when we were all drinking wine at Sunday dinner. And, you know, that may be part of why I never became a drinker, like in high school and whatnot. Because no I mystery. did look at it and go, uh-huh. And vodka doesn't taste good. I don't want to drink vodka.
0: I don't care if you're, you're mixing orange juice in it. <laughs> Zima. <Yes. laughs> Zima. Fuzzy naval Wine goes, Hey, I like Zima. Shut up. It's, <laughs> it's the one beer I actually like to taste of. Ball really Jello beer. and Zima and turn it into a little lava lamp.
4: And I mean, I used to brew beer for years. Mm-hmm. Years I brewed beer. I, I remember my dad took me to somebody's house and they were learning how to brew beer. And we walked into their garage and they had all of their, you know, big five gallon jugs that were in various stages of decomp and I was like, You need to add more sugar to that. Your yeast is dying. And, you know, I was like nine, ten, eleven at most. And this guy, you know, looked at me like, Okay, whoa, what's going on? And my dad happened to be, you know, like ten feet behind me and he walked in behind me and looked at all the beer rack and went, You need to add sugar to that, your yeast is dying. The like guy was like, "Your daughter just told me that. Why does your daughter know what yeast looks like when it's fermenting beer?"
1: Just because I have to ask, would you let your children brew beer at this age? Sure.
4: I I don't know that I would let my children freely drink beer at this age, the <laughs> way that my father let me freely drink beer. But you know, I used to do shots of Jack Daniels on camping trips. So
1: it's mostly sugar.
4: But I mean, I I have to say, you know, like. The few times that I do drink, because I don't really drink, but, like, occasionally, you know, I'll have, like, a lemonade or something. And I have, you know, when my kids say, oh, oh, I I really want to know what it tastes like. You know, I will let them taste them, but I will say, you can take one sip to know how it tastes and know that it has alcohol in it that you're not tasting.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: Because I don't want them to think, oh, alcohol, you should never touch alcohol, you know, because I don't want them to think that, but at the same time I don't want them to think that alcoholic drinks taste really tasty and, you know, ooh, lemonade and I do drink girly foo-foo drinks because I don't want to taste my booze
1: (laughs) and nor do children that's kind of all my questions Um, thank you everybody for opening your heads up kind of I think, a little more psychological than usual.
0: <laughs> you raised the bar for us. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>
2: Wrecked the whole pod now.
4: <laughs> That's okay, Beth's the only one who listens to it. That's true.
2: That's true. So it works.
4: Sorry, Pope. <laughs> Pope listens to it too. Hi, Pope.
3: I'll have to
0: tell Liz at work. Is this how many times you can say Pope's so was... name because he's going to you know, win a prize for every time he says it?
4: <laughs> well, seeing as he's the only person who's mm. left us feedback so far. Pope, the prize is he has
0: to be here. Well, maybe we should have Pope as a guest speaker on one of our podcasts. Trevor would yeah, love Pope, I oh, can't oh, ever
3: he's even not remember that kind the last time I saw him.
0: Uh, we see him very, very infrequently. It's another one of those things we we see very few people frequently, and we see a lot of people that every time we see him we say, "Hey, we should get together," and then we never do, much like most <laughs> yeah. people do. Welcome uh, to your thirties.
2: Yeah,
4: we like run into people places.
2: Melinda,
0: we oh saw gosh, the other night. We should
4: mm. so get together for dinner. Call me in the next month, and we will arrange one to get together for dinner. And then you know. Eight months later, we get a Christmas card in the mail, and we're like, "Oh, look, new pictures of Pope." See, I
0: see people I haven't seen in a while. I go hide. I think Pope's seen my parents more often than he's seen me at this point. Well, lucky him, hanging out with your mom. You know what? We <laughs> almost made it a whole podcast. Almost <laughs> is so, so far. close.
1: If only we'd stopped before we got off topic. Yeah, so, okay. I
3: am so antisocial though. If I see people that I haven't seen in a while. I will hide or go to a different aisle or something because I figure I haven't seen them in so long because they don't want to see me. So then, you know.
1: I do so that with people that I see during the day. Like, I see them elsewhere, and I'm like, I don't want to see them right now.
0: I never know what to see. I, whenever I see someone that was like, I was never really friends with in high school, but I know who they were, and then you see them, it's kind of like, well, so what am I supposed to say to you? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't hang out with you I in high I wonder if
2: they're going to remember me. Like, um, oh, I don't yeah, I know that person over school. there. And this could be someone That I hung out with a lot You know And just like Maybe they don't want to know me I don't know
0: Yeah I forget who I saw recently I ran into from high school And I was like "Uh, You get that So how you doing? Good You doing good too? Yeah I'm working You know A couple of kids Oh me too I got a kid That's you know Yeah that's that's why I don't talk
3: to people man Unless I Unless some, You know It's like You guys (laughs) in this General group It's like
0: Yeah uh, Nah That's
1: what MySpace is for no, MySpace
0: is evil. I can barely keep up with live my so journal So with MySpace, Another you have to pretend MySpace. that you have
2: something in common with these people and deal with glittery comments.
3: I had so I had, a, I had somebody friend me I on my live journal that I have no idea who he is, and I friended him just because he friended me, but he was kind of annoying, and it's like, but I'm so. I don't want to be rude and like just kick him off my live journal, even though I don't know the guy and it doesn't really matter. <laughs> to me. Like on the other side of the country, I'm like, "You're LJ live." I don't know what the hell, and you know.
4: That's when you just put in a post in your journal that you have too many friends and you're paring down your friends list.
2: Scott's five friends. Yeah, my whole five friends and, my friends, yeah. and twelve community. I could about take arrests. Anne Goblin
3: off. That's about it. You know, and then the other guy.
1: I was going to say, I, forget, I friended Nikoi on MySpace, just thinking that maybe I'd get updates from them. You did? Now and then, it, you know, she never posts anything. And I don't think there's... Okay,
4: speaking know. of people on LiveJournal who have never update, your brother has not updated his LiveJournal no. in like three years. No.
0: So at this point, since we're completely <laughs> off topic and all we're doing is chatting now, we should probably call it a podcast. Okay. Call it podcast number nine. You might
1: want to edit that part out. we don't edit
0: we we don't don't edit edit. (laughs) (laughs) we're just like how the hell is it no i've been working on trying to get music in there it's just complicated it's one of those things
1: we definitely need striper in this one got
0: striper in this one right i'd have to get ladies night corey would have to pirate me some striper for that i got you covered yeah i'm sure you do um okay so that's podcast number nine i if number for nine, some reason you don't know about one, the site, which I don't know how that would be unless you somehow stumbled on us on iTunes now and and got us through there, go to thed20.net. Um, I haven't updated it in forever. I fully admit that. I, I think this weekend it's going to get some updating at the very least, Well, at least with this podcast. Um, and I need to update some pictures and some fonts and stuff. But. Yeah,
1: there was a second Happy Tree Friends that I never saw photos from. Our drawings
0: from we actually did not uh, scan the drawings from the second Happy Trees, so I actually don't have them right now. I haven't seen it either, I've missed that one. Were you not there for the? I uh, think that's I right, that one. you weren't there for that one. No, you came at the very end, I think. Ah, because I think was that Happy Trees one? we yeah. hit the mic? <laughs> oh, so yeah, my attempt to edit things in this and it didn't work out very well. So, signing off from uh, the D20, this is Chris.
2: Corey,
1: Cisco, Scott, and Beth.
0: All right, and we're out of here.
2: Thank you, Dixie Cup.